Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Lynn Power. Lynn Power is a 30-year advertising and marketing executive, formerly CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York, turned entrepreneur. She launched Masami Clean Premium Hair Care in February with her co-founder, James Hammett. Over her career, Lynn has worked on many iconic brands, including Clinique, American Express, Hershey's, Campari, and L'Oreal. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. And we met through a, a mutual friend. So I'd like to hear your story and just let people know who you are and how you started out. Yeah, sure. And Tiffany was so great to introduce us. I totally appreciate her. She's amazing. Um, so yeah, so um, my story is, it seems like I had a very clear career path because I spent 30 years in advertising, but it was a little more circuitous than that. <laughs> and actually, I see my children now who are teenagers going through similar explorations as they try to figure out what they want to do. And I can relate. Um, I, I'm one of those people that fell into advertising. It wasn't something that I studied in school. I had really no idea that there was a job that you could actually make ads <laughs> and, and do that. Um, so when I was in college, I actually, I was a liberal arts major. I had a double major. Um, I went to Indiana University and I was a criminal justice and English major, which is a little odd. But my first thought was to go into law school. And then I was like, oh God, no, that would be, that's not me. And then I really wanted to be Clarice Starling and go into the FBI. <laughs> and that would have been really fun. I think I would have really loved it. But of course they had a hiring freeze. It was 1989 and I got a form letter because that's what happened in those days. You know, there's no email. You're waiting for the letter to come in. And it basically said, well, the good news is you passed the background check, which I wasn't sure I would, <laughs> but I did. Um, and uh, they said, you're now on the waiting list um, and check back in in like six months or something. And I'm thinking, I can't live at my parents' house for, for six more months. That's crazy. So um, I went to the, again, old school newspaper. We used to just open up the paper and cut out all the ads. Yes. And tape them all on a piece, you know, a, a notebook and then circle the ones that really were good and call them. <laughs> and so I was going through that process. I was in Chicago and I, I happened to hook up with a recruiter, Beverly Von Winkler. That was her name. It's a great name, right? Mm -hmm. It is a great like, name. Yeah. It's like, I know it's a great name. So anyway, um, I went down to see Beverly and um, she had me do a typing test and honestly, this is when I say to like, also my children, there are certain things in your life that are really useful. Typing and knowing how to type fast is actually one of those things. And I was a really, I still am very, very good typist. I'm incredibly fast. And she was like, oh, you're a really good typist. I can get you a job tomorrow as a receptionist at an ad agency. And I was like, okay. So she sent me on the interview. I got the job and I loved the environment and I loved the people. And I ended up starting as a receptionist and then kind of working my way up. And then, you know, before I know it, 30 years have gone by. <laughs> 30 years have gone by. I'm the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York, one of the largest and oldest ad agencies in the world. Um, but at this point, I realized, you know, I'm really not enjoying what I'm doing so much anymore. 
You know, I, 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 I liked the creativity of the business. I liked the left meets right brain thinking. And all of a sudden I'm like dealing with HR issues and finance issues and client issues and legal issues. And it was like, I don't mind putting out fires, but every single day it was getting old. So um, I just decided, you know what? I'm too old for this. It's time to do something else. I need to go back to what I love, which is building brands. And I'm gonna do it for myself, damn it. <laughs> Not for someone else. And so um, serendipity inter inter intervened and I met my co-founder partner, James, and we got on like a house on fire and we decided to launch a brand together. And we launched in February, uh, Masami, which has been a wild ride considering all that's happened in the world. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah so, so when you um when you were doing advertising you were happy doing it but then when you had to actually go to just taking care of problems you weren't really in the business doing that creativity anymore you were just putting out the fires yeah I mean what I realized it's a different job you know people always think it's really glamorous to get the big top job and that's your aspiration a lot of times but it's not the same job. Working in management is a whole different sort of skill set and um, capability, and you're managing up most of the time because mm -hmm. you have, you know, in my case, WPP, the big, the big bad, you know, holding company that was always trying to tell us what to do. And so, um, you know, when I started in the business, it was much more about like solving business problems with creativity. You know, and, and really thinking about like, oh my God, you know, how can we use creativity as a business tool and help these clients grow and move their business forward and thrive? And that was really fun, mm -hmm. especially when you start to see success for your clients. I mean, I remember when we worked on Hershey and we had just won the account and the Reese's brand had been declining for like a decade straight. And it was a large brand at the time. It was about $800 million brand. So think of the size, right? So if it's declining 10% a year, that's a lot of money. And we did a lot of work. It was not easy, but we figured out how to crack it. We put a campaign and a new positioning and a whole new strategy in place for them. And they started growing 10% a year. And before I knew it, they were a billion dollar brand. And I'm thinking to myself, that was the work that we did that just gave them $200 million, you know, of, of sales within a couple of years, um, not to mention the increase in brand equity and the ability to, you know, so from, from going from declining to growing, and that was what I loved, you know, and to see that result from the work that, you know, the brain power that, that my little team was putting together, it was really rewarding. So I missed that. I missed that ability to have an impact on the business. And um, not that I didn't love dealing with HR, they're charming <laughs> and finance, they're lovely, but every single day it was, it was a little much. It just got a little old, if you know what I mean. So just back to the advertising, how do you get people to eat more chocolate or huh. buy this or do that? Or, I mean, that's huge amount of money to have people all of a sudden you know, they see an ad and now they're going for the product. How do you do that? This sounds like magic to me. Well, 
part of it is really understanding the brand DNA and what the brand's role is in someone's life. It sounds obvious, but a lot of brands lose their way and they want to be sexy or they want to be cool and they're not. And so they just forget that they're like an everyman brand or that they're a caregiver brand and they want to be something else. So in the case of Hershey, what we did is we took all of their brands. They have a lot, right? So they don't just have Reese's. They have uh, Kisses and Hershey and they had a brand called Take Five and they have Twizzlers and all sorts of brands. And we um, applied this archetype exercise against them to try to push them out into different buckets so they weren't all sitting on top of each other. And it was a really great exercise because it made us realize that Reese's really is the ruler. That's where they sit for people. Like when, when Halloween comes around and you're getting, um, you know, you're going to a house and, and they have um, Almond Joy, you're like, ooh, they have Reese's, everyone goes back to that house. It sort of was that kind of thing. So um, they were the ruler. They were like everyone's favorite and they needed to own it. And they were very apologetic. They had gotten kind of like not comfortable with who they were. And we, we sort of gave them that confidence back to say, no, this is how people see you and you have to own it. And by the way, your product looks like a crown and we have to treat the product like an oil painting, like your royalty. And they were sort of like, huh, okay. So that was literally the campaign. It was Reese's perfect. And, you know, I think it really uh, resonated with a lot of people. And then when you think of the flip side of that, you have the Hershey bar, which is much more about nostalgia and innocence. And, you know, the chocolate itself, the interesting thing about that, like if you talk to Europeans, they're like, oh my God, it's terrible. <laughs> but as an American, I love Hershey bars. My kids I love Hershey too. bars. I do too. I love Hershey bars, right? especially the ones with almonds in them. <laughs> I do too. And it's, it is a little bit more of an acquired taste, the chocolate, but it's, um, but it really is about simple pleasures. So in that case, it was almost the opposite of the ruler. It was like, no, you need to own simplicity and nostalgia and happiness. And so it was really kind of pushing these brands into their, their rightful spaces that unlocked the magic. Um, and speaking of magic, Kisses was the magician, which is an archetype, which is all about transformation because when you give somebody a kiss, it's this transformational moment. So anyway, so I could talk about this stuff forever, but that was basically, so that was super fun because we really helped their business, you know, um, with, with some of this creative thinking, um, and, and it led to real business results and that obviously helped the agency and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but, um, you know, I had gotten to the point where I really wasn't doing that anymore. I mean, when I was called into the business, it was sort of like, I was like the last resort, you know, like the business was like already one foot out the door <laughs> and, you know, and the client was not happy and I'm trying to change the team and fix it. And it's, it's hard at that point to give them your best thinking, you know, to really come forward with, with breakthrough ideas for the business when you're trying to save it. It's, it's just tough. Yeah, that's totally different. Just putting out fires constantly. You can't even think clearly if you're doing that. Exactly. Always trying to fix things. So then comes Masami. So what's yeah. the story behind that? So you, you met your business partner, but 
why uh, hair care? Where's the name come from? Tell me the story. Sure. So it's just one of those moments in your life where you just know you have to do it. And I'd worked on beauty a bunch of times in my career. I'd worked on Clinique. I'd worked on L'Oreal. I'd worked on Nexus. I'd worked on Vichy, you know, on and on. And um, I always gravitated back to beauty. It's just a fun category for me to work in. So uh, this was a case of truly serendipity because I wasn't I wasn't really, I was consult, I had a consulting business that was doing really well. I wasn't actively looking to launch a brand, but <clears throat> James, my, my co-founder had been working with my husband and he had been working on these product formulations for about 10 years, kind of as a side gig. And he really didn't tell anyone he was doing it, but he was spending basically all of his discretionary income on these products. And I think, his husband, Masa, which we'll get to in a minute, was kind of at the point where he was like, enough already. Like, are you going to do this thing or not? Like, you've spent all this money. And James didn't even fully realize, but he had found this unbelievable chemist who specializes in indie, luxe, organic, natural beauty. And, you know, when he started in the process, he knew the products should be green, but he wanted them to be high performing but the ingredient alternatives were not as robust as they are today to, to replace sulfates, parabens, phthalates, right? So 10 years ago, there just weren't that many options. The product formulations weren't as good. And so he kept at it and kept working on it and kept working on it. And he finally had the formulations to where he thought they were really good. And he actually said to my husband who he was working with, he was like, hey, can I pick your brain? I, I, I think I've cracked my project I've been doing for 10 years. Um, and Bill said to him, you know, I, I don't know anything about beauty. You really need to talk to Lynn. And he connected the two of us. And I was super skeptical because I've done hair care lots. So I've worked on L'Oreal and relaunched their Vive brand and all that stuff. And it is a tough category. It's a lot of brands. And I just think a lot of the products that I've worked on where they had the backing of large companies and big R&D teams and the products were so-so. So I'm thinking to myself, how is this one guy going to come up with something amazing, right? Like what are the odds? He's, he's crazy. Like who does that? Or he's a genius, maybe. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so he came over with Masa, who's his husband and really our muse because Masa's from Japan where we source our ingredient and we've named our brand after him, Masami, uh -huh. which also means truly beautiful in Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, so Masa comes from Northeast Japan from this little town called Atsuchi. And it was where the tsunami really hit hard in 2011, by the way. And James would go back home with Masa and, and, and sort of saw how different their diet, the Japanese diet was and how they were consuming these ocean botanicals and seaweeds pretty much every day. And he started playing around with them. And that was how he kind of introduced that concept into the hair care, um, our hair care business. So he gave me products to try basically in a nutshell, how, you know, told me the story, gave me the products, um, I was like, well, I like the story, but I doubt they're any good. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, they're really good. <laughs> so at that point, um, I decided, you know, we, we, we decided to go into business together. Um, and it's been really great because we're super complimentary. 
-hmm. So I bring the business and the brand and the marketing side, and he really brings the R and D and sort of, he has this really gut natural intuition about the product formulas that I couldn't do. It's hard. You know, he just has this, I can't describe it any other way, just intuition about how to make these products. And he really gives our chemist a hard time, by the way. (laughs) I mean, imagine working with somebody for 10 years, you know? So um, he's, he's all over it, but we're already working on our next products. So we launched with shampoo, conditioner, a shine serum and a styling cream. He's already working on the next stuff. Um, And it will take months because he's very in depth in his process. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of consumer testing and a lot of trial and error. And he gives the chemists a lot of grief, but we end up with great products at the end. So that's what counts. Wow. So when you use the products for the first time, what was your experience? Well, what I noticed is that right away, so my hair is very fine, as you can see, and it's very colored. <laughs> so I highlight the crap out of it. Um, so my hair is not great, ironically for launching a hair care brand and James is bald. So there you have it. (laughs) But, um, I, I, a lot of products for me will weigh my hair down, Mm -hmm. uh, because my hair is so thin and fine. And it just, if I use something that's hydrating, it kind of makes my hair look greasy. And these products, the beautiful thing about them is they're super hydration because of our Japanese ocean botanical, but they don't weigh your hair down. They're lightweight. And so this was like the, when I used it, it was literally like the next day, my hair was shiny. It looked healthier. And I, I realized, and I knew this from my hair care days that if if you solve hydration, you're solving the biggest challenge in hair care, because it's the number one issue. And also if people have great hydrated hair. They don't have flyaways. Their hair looks shinier. It looks healthier. It's more manageable. It has more volume. It has all the other things that they usually complain about. Mm -hmm. So I noticed right away when I used it, I'm like, wow, these products really made a difference for my hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love the styling cream because I just use it to like, just take care of the flyaways because I wear my hair like this pretty much every day. and it works beautifully and it doesn't have residue and it doesn't, it's not, it's not greasy or, or chunky or, you know, give you, give you some of the problems that like a gel would have or another, another type of styling product would have. So um, yeah, that's why I was like, wow, these products really work. And the beautiful thing is we've tested them uh, on virtually every hair type and the people that probably get the most benefit are the people that have really problem hair, like really coarse, Mm -hmm. really difficult to manage, like almost the opposite of mine. Uh They love it the most because um, it really, that hydration really kind of tames difficult hair. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Does it matter if it's, you know, uh, Caucasian or Japanese or uh, black hair? it works well on everyone's hair. Yeah. We made sure when we tested it to test it on every ethnicity we could find. And I would say, you know, nine out of 10 people love it. There's always outliers and that's fine with us. Like it's fine. And also we're gender neutral. So we have a lot of men who use our products. 
because our fragrance is not super overpowering. It's pretty fresh and lightweight. And um, I think that's also interesting because most hair care picks a lane, you know, they, they pick if they're for men or women. And we decided we didn't want to do that. We kind of are taking this Japanese simplicity Zen approach about like, you only really need one great product. You don't need lots. You don't need lots of different skews. You don't need one for volume and one for color treated hair and one for shine. You just need a, one great product that's going to work for pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. That's great. So when you have a new product, so everybody knows what shampoo is, everybody uses shampoo. So at least you don't have to describe to them how to use it, you know, what it is, but it's still something new in a market where there's a lot of choices. So how do you put it out there and make it stand out? Because you, you started this during the pandemic. I know. <laughs> so we didn't know that at the time, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think every brand has that same question, right? How do you differentiate? Because these days there's really like no marketplace that isn't pretty competitive. But for us, I think it's, it's the fact that we're both clean. So we don't have sulfates, parabens, phthalates, um, and we're super high performing. We're salon quality hair care. And we have several major salons that carry us now, um, like Spoken Wheel, Dream Dry, Nikki Salon um, on Shelter Island. You know, there's a bunch, uh, Tame Salon in Philly. And Um, I think the fact that we don't compromise on our performance, you know, so our products are clean, but they're super high performing. And then of course our Japanese ocean botanical makes it really different because it's something that most people have never heard of. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if, if you're in Japan, it's like eating avocados here. I mean, they just eat it every day. It's, it's just part of their normal diet. Um, But that I think is hopefully part of our education because that particular ingredient is not only great for your hair, but they do eat it. It's super super health health oriented, has a lot of nutritional value, um, a lot of studies around the um, health benefits of of that particular seaweed. So, you know, part of what we'd like to do is just have people be more aware and just be healthier overall you know, what they're putting in and on their bodies. Right. Right. And, and so much of our health is judged by our skin, our hair. So mm-hmm. you can tell a lot if someone's doing well or not, by the way, their hair looks. That's true. You know, a yeah. big hair, of hair and it's too. shiny. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And they, you true. know, makes you look healthy and more attractive, I think. Yeah. Well, and now we're all on zoom calls, right? So you want to, <laughs> You want to try to look decent, which That's is not, right. we're all seeing easy. each other. <laughs> yeah. That like, is true. Yeah. So how has your background in um, advertising and just having the network that you have, cause you have 30 years of a, now a huge network. How do you use your network to the best use the, you know, use it the best way? Yeah, well, the good thing for me was that I know a lot of people and I know who I like and I know who's really talented. So I was able to put together a team pretty effortlessly of um, people that have skill sets that I don't have. So, you know, 
part of starting a business is being really introspective and knowing what you like to do and knowing what you don't like to do Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to round that out. And so I was able to get a really great digital acquisition person. Um, I've got a content person on my team. I've got a great CFO who loves doing breathtaking spreadsheets, which (laughs) is not my thing. So, you know, that works really well. So um, that's really, you know, and, and then I think the other piece of launching a business when you're, you know, my age, um, after you've had a, a long career is I make really fast decisions, right? I don't, I don't belabor them. I trust my gut. We work really fast. We just move on. If it's not the right decision, we just go the other direction. It's fine. You know what I mean? And I find that younger founders have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, they just don't know, or they're just not sure. And, and um, I just have a much higher degree of confidence, I think in, in the decision-making because I've done so much, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And starting a new brand like this, when you got these team members on, were, are you just um, paying them to work for you or did you give them a piece of what's going on? How did you put that together to make everybody want to be on the team? That's a good question. We structured it a little differently than I think a lot of startups do. In our case, we gave everybody a little piece of the company and that's how they're paid. And I think the result of that is that people are really highly motivated. Um, they want to see it succeed and everyone on the team has contributed far above and beyond what I would expect. Um, and I really love and appreciate that. Um, but I think they all feel a strong ownership in what we're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, I love the way you did that. Because that is so true. You always are going to work harder at home. You know, you're going to work harder yeah. on what you feel like right. you, you own a piece of. Yeah. So that, is, that is awesome. And um, so now that you have this new thing you're doing, how are you blending your, your day-to-day life in with business, with your relationship with your husband? How do you keep all that balanced? You know what? I've never been a fan of work-life balance um, because I just don't really believe in it. And I don't really think you can ever really achieve it because it's always like this. It's like a seesaw where sometimes it's like up and, you know, mm-hmm. and then And then you're always like, never, it's never really balanced. So my attitude is more about blending. I just mush it all together. So I really only work with my friends and people I like. It doesn't mean to say that I won't work with new people I like, but I I like, I like to like the people I'm working with is my point. I want to be able to have people that I can hang out with and that I can mesh my personal life and my work life. And same with our family. I mean, my husband's involved in the business. He's our lead investor. My kids get dragged into the business, whether they like it or not. My daughter came with me to a beauty trade show in um, January before COVID. And I made her wear a Masami t-shirt and sit at the booth. And she was tortured, but it worked. (laughs) She was on her phone the whole time. It was fine. Um, But I think the idea of just, you know, taking that separation away. And, and it, for me, that doesn't work for everybody, but for me, that's worked really well because I feel like, um, there are times when I'm working on business stuff till midnight 
And then there are times where I want to go do something personal all day during the day, you know, and I don't have guilt. I just do what I need to do because it all kind of meshes together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're with your friends who are also working with you, yeah. how do you keep the, the fun supposed to be relaxed times from business times? Because being in the same business, it might be easy to keep talking about the business, even when you're supposed to be having a birthday party. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because like, okay, so one of the people on my team was one of my high school friends, mm-hmm. literally one of my oldest friends. So our conversations will ping pong. We'll talk about one of our friends and then we'll talk about, oh, this promotion we're doing. And then we'll talk about one of our friends again. And then, so <laughs> That, that's just sort of how it works. And then James, my partner is like family to me now. We literally, he's going to be here for Thanksgiving and we are similar. We will talk about Japan or his mother or his family or my family. And then the next thing we know, we're talking about Amazon and, you know, (laughs) um, and the shipment to Singapore and why didn't it get there? And, you know, so it's just, it just, it's, you'd probably think we're a little, um, you know, all over the place if you heard our conversations, but um, I don't know. I, I think it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how is your brand doing? So when did you actually launch it and how is it doing? So we launched in February at New York Fashion Week, which seems like such a long time ago because we were crammed into these little rooms in New York City for the fashion shows. And it just, it's like surreal now because obviously that wouldn't happen. Um, We launched with a heavy focus on direct to consumer, but had some salon partnerships in the wings. Well, obviously those went went on pause when COVID hit. So we had to wait to really activate our salon partnerships until like June but I'm super happy we, we did. Um, Spoken Wheel is amazing. They have eight salons nationwide. They're one of the top salons, I think, around period. Like, they're really good. And Dream Dry is a blow-dry salon. Um, and we did co-branded products for them that just launched a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think the good thing for us is that people really want clean beauty. They did before, but now they're more aware. Yeah. I think... COVID and anything to do with health has made people a little more educated and questioning and wanting things that are good. Um, and also people really need self-care, which I do. I'm, we all can relate to that, I'm sure. So our products definitely provide, you know, that sort of luxurious salon experience at home. And I think there's nothing wrong with people taking care of themselves, um, you know, and a little, a little indulgence here and there is a good thing. So if listeners wanted to get your product, would they have to go to one of those salons or where can they find it? (laughs) They could go to one of those salons, but they don't have to, they can, they can find us online at lovemasami.com. So L-O-V-E-M-A-S-A-M-I.com. We're also on Amazon. Okay. Yep. Um, So there are multiple ways you can find us. Okay, wonderful. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yes, it's been awesome. And I love to hear your adventure. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you called it that. You're the first person that said that, but it feels like an adventure. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I have one last question before we get off. 
what for you is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? I would say my two cents on that is um, learn how to say no. And I'm, I'm just saying that because I am not a no person. I'm a yes person at heart. And for years and years and years, I would say yes. And I would get myself tied up into way more things than I wanted to. And it took me a long time, like just until recently, to really kind of figure out how to say no and to get my priorities straight. And I think that's one of the best and healthiest things you can do for yourself. Um, if you are somebody who is a people pleaser or a team player like me, <laughs> um, you got to kind of like talk yourself out of that sometimes. If something comes at you and your gut is telling you it's not a good idea, you just have to say no. <laughs> Beautiful. That is great advice. So thank you so much for being on thank the show you. today, Lynn. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.